Hey, as I mentioned, I hope you'll join us on Ash Wednesday during, during the season of Lent. Uh, that next Sunday, we'll actually start a series in the book of James. Um, so it's a really practical letter that James wrote, the brother of Jesus wrote, and I hope you'll join us for that. But today we're wrapping up our series, The Patterns of Jesus, with solitude. And what I want us to understand today from this, from this time together is that solitude actually helps us be more effective followers of Jesus. It helps you be more effective as a follower of Jesus. One of my first projects in seminary was to spend six hours in solitude to reflect, to meditate, and to pray. So I woke up early, I made a lunch, I grabbed a blanket, I grabbed a journal and a Bible, and I found the spot off the beaten path at a park near our house where we were living at the time. And it was this amazing experience. I prayed, I read scripture, like parents uninterrupted time of prayer and scripture. Like if you're a Christian parent, you're like, yes, Lord, please. And I journal and I found so much joy and so much refreshment for the first 30 minutes. <laughs> and I remember looking at my phone and be like, oh crap, I have five and a half hours left. For years after that experience, the idea of solitude frightened me. Maybe especially as an extrovert, right? Or like I didn't have kids at the time, so maybe solitude was like something that I thought I could always get. I'm not sure what it is. But something about it scared me until I realized that Jesus actually had a pattern for it himself, and so should I. Think about all the patterns of Jesus we've talked about. Think about inviting others announcing the kingdom of God, living a life of like, radical holiness and hospitality, relying on God for healing. If we don't work the patterns of Christ-like solitude into our lives and into our hearts, we'll never get the spiritual nourishment we would need to be effective for Jesus. Jesus asked a lot of us. We could do patterns of Jesus the whole year and then some. We could talk about Jesus' pattern of worshiping in the synagogue. We could talk about Jesus' pattern of caring for women. We could talk about Jesus' pattern of spending time with children and caring for children. We could spend all this time talking about all the patterns that Jesus gives us. But if we're going to take those seriously, you and I desperately need Christ-like solitude to be effective as a follower of Jesus, to do the patterns that he does. So if Jesus saw solitude is important, so should you and I. So Christ-like solitude, three things. It gives us a greater source of nourishment. It gives us a greater sense of self. And it gives us a greater infusion of purpose. So let's look at this. Christ-like solitude, everyone's finding out. So people, and that's Jesus, went abroad. So Jesus had been healing people, and everyone's finding out. So people are telling everybody, right? And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Solitude, what solitude does is it invites you to have your heart nourished by God rather than people. Psalm 1 gets at this. Psalm 1 says that the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Picture this. 
Maybe close your eyes. Picture this. Planted, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and it does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Whenever you see a flourishing life in people and in nature, the nourishment always comes from some other place than itself. The flowers and vegetables in your garden receive nourishment from the rain outside of itself, from the sun outside of itself, the soil outside of itself. Anytime you see something flourishing or life flourishing, it's because it's receiving a source of nourishment outside of itself. Flourishing marriages receive nourishment from self-sacrificial love from the other spouse. If both spouses are living self-sacrificially, that marriage flourishes. A flourishing student receives nourishment from teachers, materials, and books. Like if to be a student, you have to study something that's not inside of you, it's outside of you. Amen, teachers? The same is true for a flourishing, righteous person. They receive nourishment from the Lord. And so Jesus, whether you're not, uh, you're not a Christian or you are, you have to admit Jesus had a flourishing life. Like if there's anybody like in all of history, we're all like, we should all be more like, it's Jesus. Where did his nourishment come from? From communion with God the Father, and he finds this in solitude. Jesus seeks solitude all throughout the Gospels, and always for different reasons. Before he starts his ministry, Matthew 4, where is he? In solitude for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he's tempted by the devil. In Luke 4, he goes in the solitude to prepare for God's mission that God has given him for his life. In Luke 6, he goes in the solitude before he recruits his disciples. In Luke particular, anytime Jesus is about to do something important or there's going to be a conflict, Jesus is found praying in solitude. Every time. In Mark 6, it's really interesting. The disciples have this like great ministry. They do all these healings. They cast out demons. And then Jesus says, great, let's get out of here and go into solitude. Like we as Americans be like, shouldn't we pass the offering plates now? We just had this awesome ministry. We should be collecting on this, right? Jesus says, yeah, let's just get out of here. And of course, the crowds find him anyway. But even Matthew 14, Jesus goes in the solitude to grieve. God the Son in human flesh grieves. Jesus understood the importance of solitude. Shouldn't we? A spiritually flourishing life is nourished outside of itself by communion with God. And this is the most important source of nourishment because only by nourishment from God can our hearts flourish too. Your quality of life depends on the quality of your nourishment. In all areas, if you want to be physically fit, like Fosnock can't be every day. It can't be. You got, if you want to be physically fit, you got to put the right things in your body. If you want to be spiritually fit, you got to put the right things in your heart. 
A flourishing life is nourished by God, but a withering life is nourished by the noise of the crowd. You need a pattern of solitude to get away from the noise of the crowd to receive a steady stream of nourishment from God like a tree planted by streams of water. Think about how much, honestly, how much you're nourished by the crowd, by the noise of the crowd. Sometimes it's small ways from people close to you. Like maybe you're tempted like me to be an affirmation junkie, right? You need people around. You need the crowd around to tell you, you're doing a great job, Evan. Way to go, Evan. Keep going, Evan. You're the man, Evan. But also in other ways. Did you know the average daily social media usage of internet users, listen, worldwide, amounted to 147 minutes per day? Two hours, make sure I get my math right, two hours and 27 minutes every day, worldwide. In places you don't think they have smartphones, they're on social media. Social media, what social media does, it gives everyone a microphone. Right? With it, we allow people who have no authority or no expertise to nourish us. Like, I see it all the time. I talk to my medical friends all the time, people giving medical advice on social media. Like, you're not a doctor. You read the back of the Advil bottle every time to make sure you're taking the right amount of Advil. And now you're going to tell me on social media you got the microphone that you're a doctor? Hold up. Yes, I understand you read your Bible once. And you think that it, the Bible, that we should interpret it this way. You're not a pastor. Yes, I'm sorry, you have. Let me, sorry, this is for free, guys. This is Evan just going off a little bit. I'm sorry, I know you have a... A smartphone with a camera, you're not a photographer, right? Like, because everybody this place, we're like, everybody's on the same level. And then we nourish ourselves with it. They have no expertise. They have no idea what they're talking about. And we're just taking it in. And they offer their opinions like it's the gospel. Stop nourishing yourself with hot takes. Stop it. You want to watch the world burn? Nourish yourself with hot takes. That's for free. Stop nourishing yourself with anger. Stop nourishing yourself with cynicism. If you nourish yourself with junk, your heart will be junk. And I've said this time and time again. Beware the people who make money off of your cynicism. Beware the people who make money off your anger. Beware the people who make money off of hot takes. Beware those people. You'll burn with them. Your heart will be destroyed with theirs. Think about how much you're nourished by the noise, not even bad things, right? Think about how you're nourished by podcasts all the time. It's noise, 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 noise of the crowds, podcasts. You can't even take a walk without listening to podcasts. I'm not going to say who it is, but somebody here told me they listen to podcasts when they're on the toilet. Like, can't you just, like, just give yourself a break? Or YouTube or cable news. Turn it off. You don't need that stuff. It's junk. You're nourishing yourself with junk. Your heart will turn into junk. All right, that was for free. But some of us are just nourishing ourselves off the words of others. Some of us carry scars on our hearts. 
Like someone told you as a kid that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, and you are nourishing yourself off the words time and time again, just noise of the crowd playing over and over again in your head. We're all nourished by something outside of ourselves. But are these things providing us a flourishing life or a withering life? We all get nourishment outside of ourselves. And Jesus saw the crowds gather. He didn't pass the offering plates. He went straight into solitude. So you need solitude to help you flourish, not off the noise of the crowd, but by the love of the Father. You need to get time by yourself with God, away from the noise of the crowd, to commune with him, to listen for his whisper. To read his word, to spend time in prayer. And Christ like solitude gives us also a better sense of ourselves, a better sense of self. Verse 16 But he would withdraw to desolate places. Through solitude, we would get a better sense of who we are. We're all trying to figure out who we are, aren't we? I always laugh at that scene in Zoolander, right, when he's, like, looking into the puddle. Every time somebody has an identity crisis, they're always looking into water. I don't know why it is. Moana looks into water. Dark Zoolander looks into water. He looks in the puddle, and he goes, who am I? And the reflection in the puddle goes, what? I don't know. We're all trying to figure out who we are, but if we listen to the noise of the crowd, what ends up happening is we'll get a false sense of self defined by the crowd's definitions by their affirmation, and will do anything for their acceptance. So you need solitude with God where God meets you there. Jesus talks about the secret place. Get into the secret place where God sees you and God is with you and tells you who you really are in him. In our cultural moment, we're obsessed with identity. We're obsessed with it. And what we talk about is that there's basically like nine identities that all come together like a puzzle to give you one picture of who you are. And these are the nine. The big nine. Race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, ability, religion, spirituality, nationality, social economic status, and political. Nine. And we're told a lie that our true self is found when we look inside of ourselves. But that's not true. It's just not. We all actually determine who we are by definitions, affirmations, and acceptance outside of us. Think about gender identity. Gender identity is the gender a person thinks they are. That's how it's described. So it doesn't have to match up with your biological sex. It's what you think you are, okay? You determine if you're a woman or a man or a transgender slash genderqueer person or a combination or none of these categories. You determine that. And we'll talk about that post-Easter. We'll talk about some of this in depth. But our culture tells us to determine this, to determine your gender identity by looking inside of us. And once you believe you've found out what that is, what do you do immediately? You actually go outside of yourself looking for a definition. So if you're a man who believes you're a woman, you more often than not end up looking and acting like a stereotypical woman. It's somebody else's definition of woman. You didn't come up with that. That came from the outside. 
And then once you have the definition, what do you do? You surround yourself with others, again, the outside of you, to affirm the gender you believe you are. And surround yourself with those who will accept you, again, outside of you, for the gender you believe you are. And you're told to remove anybody from your life who doesn't. It's all outside of you. Don't believe the lie that it's inside. It's all outside. Racial identity, it's the same thing. Sure, you get the idea of racial identity from your skin color, but then you look for a definition of what it means to be a member of that race. And when you figure that out, you look to others to affirm you as such, but then you need them to accept you as such. But if you end up liking something that's traditionally part of another race's identity, then you aren't accepted as one of them, or you're told to stay in your lane, no cultural appropriation. It isn't acceptable people from your race to like our thing. Or people in our race don't like that thing. Definition, affirmation, acceptance, all outside of you. And you need those, they say, for your identity. Because if you don't, you'll hear things like this. People from your background aren't allowed in here. People of your gender can't do that job. People from our political party, okay, it's getting a little close now, don't hold that view. So you can't be a Democrat like us if you aren't for partial, per, partial birth abortion. You can't be a Democrat, sorry. You can't be a Republican like us if you aren't pro-assault weapons. You're not one of us if you don't believe all the same things as us. It's all outside. We look to the crowds outside of us to give us definitions, affirmation, and acceptance. But Jesus rejected getting his identity from anything or anyone else other than God. Henry Nouwen says that solitude is the furnace of transformation. What he's saying is that in solitude with God, you come to see your reliance on the false self that you get from the crowd. And we reject this compulsion. We reject the compulsion of the false self. Which, so you think about like Jesus in the wilderness. And he's tempted by the devil. He rejects the compulsion to be relevant. Turns stones into loaves. He rejects the compulsion to be spectacular. Throw yourself down. He rejects the compulsion to be powerful. I will give you all these kingdoms. So you can build your identity off of the crowd, but if you do, it becomes all about what you do that makes you who you are. It reminds me of the Nazi slogan at the gateway of Auschwitz. Arbeit macht frei. It means work will make you free. It's all about what you do that will make you free. But if you're honest, you can never do enough to get the definitions, the affirmation, acceptance you feel like you need. Young people, you know this best. Middle school and high school, it's all about what you do. You have to act a certain way. You have to do certain things for people to accept you. 
And if your supposed friends knew what you really believed or you were really into or the struggles of your heart, you know they would toss you aside for someone else who does what they think they should do. And that's lonely. It will give you a withering life, and it's the false self. But Jesus invites us to make God as the only source of our identity. He says to Satan, he says, get out of here. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And you, when we do that, we receive the new self. The new self isn't about what you do. It's about what God in Christ has done for you. You're getting your identity from somewhere outside of you, but God gives you an identity that says you're a child of God, you're a new creation, you're an ambassador, you're adopted, you're loved and accepted. Why? Because God made you those things. You didn't do anything. Work didn't set you free. Work enslaved you. What you do will enslave you, and God says, I'll make you free. Take this identity on yourself. I'm giving it to you. I did it for you. The only way for you to get a true sense of who you are is to make sure you're being nourished by the one who made you in the first place and allowing him to remind you of who you are. And so you need to make space for it. And that solitude of place, solitude of place giving ourselves the space to do these things. That's all important, but you also need solitude of the heart. When ancient Christians read Paul's challenge to the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, they developed these things called breath prayers, where they learned to pray with every breath. So they would breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's solitude of the heart. Not many of us will be able to keep up breath prayers. I've tried. I can't do it. But we all need solitude of the heart. We all need inner attentiveness to be constantly aware of all that God is doing in and around us. In solitude of the heart, you're never afraid of being alone. That's why solitude freaks so much of us out because we have to be alone. But we know when we have solitude of the heart, we're never alone. So whether you're by yourself or a kid is screaming in your face from the time they wake up till they go to bed, you know God is with you. Whether your boss is giving you the thumbs up or giving you the thumbs down, you know God is with you. Whether your week is good or it's bad, you know God is with you. You have this inner attentiveness that it's not about what I do, but what God has done for me. And so Christ-like solitude then gives us a greater infusion of purpose. But he would withdraw, and what would he do? Pray. Jesus doesn't see solitude as a distraction from purpose, but something that infuses him with it. So many of us would go, oh, it's a distraction to get out of here, right? Pass the offering plate, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you're going to die tomorrow. What do you mean we're spending this time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying? What are you doing? It's a distraction. We need to come up with a game plan. 
God has given you a purpose and a calling, and solitude, a place in heart, infuses you with it. Jesus sees solitude as necessary for the effectiveness of his ministry. So we need to find the time and the space to be nourished by God and receive his love so that that space will eventually give us opportunity for that to grab our hearts too. So we can enter the world again, infused with purpose and be effective in whatever role God has called you to, to be a spouse, to be a parent, to be an employee, to be a church member, to be a neighbor, a student, whatever. You need solitude of space, of place. You need solitude of the heart so you can actually be who God has called you to be. And when you're nourished by the Father and you're not nourished by the noise of the crowd, you no longer rely on the false self. But instead, you're in constant communion with God in solitude of place and heart. And what will happen is you'll start to see that you'll become more humble and more grateful. You'll become more humble when times are vibrant, when life is good, when your kids actually like what you made for dinner, when your life, your prayer life is just solid, or when your boss is happy with you, you'll know the source of your effectiveness is from God and you'll give him the glory. Listen, nothing wrong with taking a compliment. Keep the compliment, but pass on the glory. Okay? Here, here when people say, hey, I'm an affirmation junkie, like I said, I admit it to you. Right? I've had to learn to say, okay, it's okay to take the compliment, but it's not about me. My effectiveness is from someone else. So you'll be humble, but you'll also be grateful when times are dry and dull. See, if you don't have solitude of the heart, then when you aren't this like beaming butterfly of joy and happiness, you'll look for someone else to blame for that. Well, God's not speaking to me, so it's his fault. I have to bet, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would imagine that if it's either God of the universe's fault or yours, it's probably yours. But hey, that's what we do. We go, oh, God's not speaking to me. It's his fault. He should be speaking to me. I heard this whole sermon about it. Or I'm not getting anything out of church. I'm not anything about, I don't get anything when I go to church, so I'm out. Or my kids keep waking me up in the middle of the night. True story. And what will happen is you'll isolate You'll isolate away from God and you'll isolate from other Christians. You'll stop going to church. You'll stop praying. You'll, stop, you'll just say, I'm just going to isolate. Things aren't going well. They're dry. They're dull. And what do we do? Even though we know, like I love when science and psychology catches up with the Bible. We know from science and psychology, which the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, that you, to, be, to actually like relieve yourself of anxiety is not to isolate to receive yourself from, like, relieve yourself from dullness and dryness is not to isolate, is actually to integrate with people. But what we do is we go, well, we're going to isolate. We're going to get away from God. We're going to get away from everyone else. And what that happens is it makes us lonely. But solitude of the heart will help you see these times as a gift. You'll be grateful. They're gifts from God. Sometimes God puts you in dry places and dull places to help remove distractions from your life. The things you're depending on like how you feel about something. Like think about all the things you do because you feel like doing them. Like we tell our kids all the time, like, and we, we tell students, and we tell people all the time, like uh, people who work for you, right? You go like, I don't, 
care if you feel like doing it. I need you to do it. But I don't feel like praying today. Okay, do it anyway. Read the book of common prayer. Read, you know, like, find a prayer book and go through that. You don't feel like praying? Do it anyway. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of church. I don't feel like it's energetic. Good, you should be here anyway. Guess who doesn't always feel like coming to church? Me. And I get paid to be here. It helps to be paid to be here, but it's also kind of annoying because I got to be here. Or maybe you're a slave to getting stuff out of prayer or you're a slave to getting stuff out of your scripture reading or church. So you have to find your soul nourishment identity in God alone. So God removes those things for you, gives you a dull and dry life. Not because of sin. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about just in general. You're being faithful to God. It's dull and dry. God says, be grateful. This is a gift because I'm trying to remove distractions. And I want you to focus on me. Solitude isn't a program that will magically make your life what you want it to be, but it will give you a better source of nourishment, a better sense of identity, and a greater infusion of purpose. And right now, if you're someone who's around people like all the time, you're like, solitude, who's who's got time for that? Or you're a parent, like, I can't even go to the bathroom without fingers coming under the door. (laughs) That's my life. How am I going to get solitude? I can't even get in the bathroom. Or maybe your life's hit you pretty hard, and you're like, solitude? All right. Finally have an excuse to get out of, out of here and away from y'all. Look, the Bible says you need both fellowship and solitude. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reflects on this, and he says something like this. Fellowship or solitude it by itself will have its own pitfalls and perils. Fellowship without solitude will make the noise of the crowd your nourishment. I got to be around people. Solitude without fellowship makes you perish, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Solitude is different than isolation. Too many of us have the tendency to isolate from God and others when it gets tough or gets busy. Whereas solitude leads to communion with God and gives you inner fulfillment, what isolation does, it leads you to loneliness and inner emptiness. And also, being an isolated Christian is an easy target for the devil. Easy target. So don't spend too much time away because you need other Christians. It's also how cults start, but that's a whole other topic another day. It's always the guy in the woods reading the Bible by himself for long hours and not eating enough that ends up starting a cult. But that's just besides the point. You need fellowship and solitude. You need solitude and fellowship. So here's some ideas to create solitude in your life, some patterns of solitude. Daily, I know it's going to be hard, get up before everyone else. It's hard, trust me. But you can do it. You're grown people. Grab your cup of coffee and commune with God. Young people, you can do this too. Wake up before other people. Keep your doors shut, whatever it is. Pray, read scripture, and give yourself five to ten minutes of silence just to listen to God. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. But just listen. Listen for his whisper. And weekly, maybe take one drive a week. We're not going to talk. You're not going to turn on the radio. You're not going to listen to the podcast. You're just going to drive. And listen. 
See if God speaks to you then. Or take a walk without a podcast or the dog or, or your phone. Somehow, people got a hold of you without having a phone in your pocket. You can take a 10-minute walk by yourself and the world will not burn. It will be okay. It probably says more about us than about the people who need us. But annually, when the weather gets nice, take a half day by yourself at the park. Just you, your Bible, and the Lord. Take a half day off of work. If your parents, right, do when the kids are in school. Drop them off and take a half day. Get a cup of coffee, go to the park, and just sit and pray. You could do that once a year. Just a half day off. I don't know what your PTO is like, but I'm pretty sure you have a half day. But if we seek to pattern our lives after Jesus, if Jesus saw solitude as something that's necessary for the effectiveness of his life and ministry, we should too. So let me pray. 